Hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. This is a quote from one of the all-time classic movies, The Shawshank Redemption, and how true it is. Hope is a good thing, maybe even the best of things. And the life in Christ is built on hope. It's an integral part of it. We need hope to survive. We need it to abide, to abound, and to thrive. But what do we do when hope is nowhere to be found? What do we do when we've been diagnosed with a sickness that is incurable, and every step is a physical reminder of the pain of this new broken reality that we have to live in? What do we do when the heart of someone we love is irreconcilable and severed, delving deeper into bitterness and despair with each passing day? What do we do when all we've come to count on, our job, our finances, the roof over our head, our reputation, our friendships and family are pulled out from under us and we're left alone, naked and with nothing? What do we do when we stare at the lifeless body of our spouse, numbed and in shock that this is our life now, wondering with wordless prayers how we will care for our helpless four-week-old baby when we're not even sure we can breathe? It's my belief that in these dark places of suffering, that is precisely where hope is to be found. One of the best ways to understand hope one of the best ways to truly experience it, to grasp every nuance of it, is through suffering. I know, I know, gross suffering, no thank you. But we can't avoid it. It is one of the things that is guaranteed in this life, like death and taxes. We will suffer. The Bible is filled with countless accounts of very specific examples of suffering. No one is exempt, not even Jesus himself. Charles Spurgeon had this to say, the highest degree of grace cannot save us from affliction. It even includes it. We may grow in grace until our faith never staggers, but the impartial hand of trial will knock at our door as well as the door of the chief of sinners. We must still walk the oath of sorrow. The child of God cannot escape the rod, even though he is an Elijah. He may call down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice, but no fire from heaven can consume his trouble. He must pass through it as well as the weakest and most common of God's people. Let us, therefore, settle it in our hearts to be resigned to this. If the prince himself once went through the valley of humiliation, why should we murmur at following in his footsteps? God had one son without sin, but never a son without affliction. Let us not ask to be the first, but be content to share the position of those whose inheritance is to be ours forever in the paradise of God. Jesus himself said that in this world we will have tribulation. And as the apostle Peter wrote, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. He says to not be surprised when suffering comes our way, the fiery ordeals, and to be overjoyed 
in the glory of Christ that it reveals. Suffering is inescapable. We live in a broken, fallen world. Ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of the forbidden fruit, sin, and with it pain and suffering, was ushered into and is now prevalent in our world each and every day. There are some big, million-dollar, make-or-break questions of faith that we will encounter in our lives. One of them is, why does God allow suffering? Have you ever asked this? I know I have. When my wife, Aletha, died, it was a common question I had. Why? It wasn't so much as a, why did you do this to me? This seems a punishment. Why do I have to walk this hard road? It was more of an, I don't understand how anything good can come from this. Why would you let it happen? You are a good God, but this is not good. This is horrible. Was this your plan all along, to have Aletha die and leave me to raise our son without her? Or was this just a product of the broken world that we live in and you chose to let it happen and not step into our rescue? These were the questions that I wrestled with. God is sovereign. And our suffering happens under his control in the middle of his redemptive plan. And I think that's where some of the answers can be found. The first part of this hope. We are still in the middle of his plan. It's not the end yet. He's promised a time when there will be an end to all suffering, but it is not now. But even so, there is nothing we go through right now or ever that is outside of God's care. His grace is not only for all that we've done in the past and have been washed clean of, or for all the future good things that he's going to bring to be, but it's for everything we are going through right now in this moment. We are still in his hands of grace. I think it does us well to remember that the ultimate purpose of the universe and everything in it is to display the greatness of the glory of the grace of God. And so suffering, which is part of this world, serves this purpose too, to display the greatness of the glory of the grace of God. I still don't have all the answers as to why I went through what I went through, or even know fully yet what the Lord is bringing about in his infinite goodness and wisdom out of this. And I don't think we will ever completely understand the mystery of his ways. They are higher than our best human understanding could ever fathom. Martin Luther, one of the greatest theologians in Christian history, said that God is hidden in suffering. He put forward an idea of two conflicting approaches to our life with God. They were not new ideas. He just described them very clearly and famously in his Heidelberg Disputation in 1518. He proposed that there was the theology of glory and the theology of the cross. Now, with regards to the theology of glory, it's the idea that we are always improving. We're getting better and can get better. The more faith we have or the more work we put into our spiritual life, the more we will see financial blessing, health, protection, and progress. It's always about the progress of the Christian life. We're moving up and onward. And the design of God is this very purpose, 
The more we put in by faith and obedience, the more we give to God, then the more God will bless us. So when it comes to suffering, theologians of glory acknowledge the cross and the suffering that it brings, but view it primarily as a means to an end. It's an unpleasant but necessary step on the way to the good things in the future, especially salvation. But they do not know God hidden in suffering. In contrast to this, Luther explains the theology of the cross. Now, the theology of the cross helps us understand the fullness of what it means to be human and how broken humanity really is. It understands the cross to be the ultimate statement of God's involvement in the world on this side of heaven. A theology of the cross accepts the difficult thing rather than immediately trying to change it or use it. It looks directly into pain and calls a thing what it is, instead of calling evil good and good evil. It identifies God as hidden in the suffering, and not only hidden in suffering, but at work in our anxiety and doubt within that suffering. Now, to be sure, after the cross, Christ was glorified. God raised him from the dead, and he ascended to God's right hand. And Christ will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And we, too, are raised to new life. And we, too, will be glorified in the eternal life to come, where we really will experience victory and have all of our problems washed away and enjoy complete understanding and perpetual joy. But until then, we must enter and endure our suffering. Now, I share these two theological ideas from Luther because even though I think they might seem obvious at first, I think we fall into the trap of the theology of glory more often than we might think at first. In our modern culture, and especially in our Western evangelical Christian circles, we don't really see pain and deep grief as normative in the Christian life. We know in theory that suffering is part of life and even the Christian walk, but actually living it out is a different thing entirely. Suffering involves pain. It hurts. I think sometimes we can trick ourselves into thinking that when suffering comes our way, it won't hurt as much because my faith in God is pretty robust. No, it will hurt. God's sovereignty and presence doesn't take the pain away. It works the pain for our good. And we always want victory and glory out of our suffering. And this is fine and good to aspire for. But are we actually willing to walk into our suffering? Are we trying to bypass the how to get the what? Are we missing God who is hiding in the suffering? There is no resurrection without first the cross. And the resurrection didn't happen immediately after the cross. It was days later. Biblical faith does not ask us to minimize our suffering. Biblical, biblical faith doesn't ask us to defend God's goodness and power by acting as if we're doing better in our suffering than we actually are. Quite the contrary. Christ is made powerful in our weakness, in our suffering. It is okay to admit this. So let's not minimize our pain by trying to go from the affliction to the deliverance as soon as possible. We need to validate our pain. We need to give voice to it. We need to enter into it. 
God cares about us in the midst of our pain. It's true that joy comes in the morning and that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will one day be no more tears. And it's true that he will one day bring a perfect and complete joy to us. But he is also with us now before that happens. And not only that, but he will bring about something good out of the terribleness of what we're going through now. So what exactly can God do with our suffering? What will God bring about in us? Let's look at some scriptures to find out. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you are in your as you share in your sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. There is so much in this passage, but I want to look particularly at verses 8 and 9. In verse 8, Paul doesn't hide how utterly in despair he was. In the NIV, he says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Have you ever despaired of a life itself? I know I have. But then he goes on to say in verse 9, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Well, here's Paul, who's probably a better fellow of Christ than I ever will be, being stripped of everything unto despair so that he can learn to rely on God more. And this is what suffering does to us and should do to us. It deepens our faith. It deepens our holiness. It rids us of our self-reliance. It purifies us. It teaches us to put our hope solely in God. Suffering has a way, unlike anything else, to reveal what we've been putting our hope in. We might say that we hope and trust in God, but when we're despairing of life itself, do we really trust in Him? We might say that we believe God is good, but when the bad seems relentless, do we really hold fast to His character? Ultimately, this comes back to what I mentioned earlier about the chief purpose of everything being to display the glory of the grace of God. As Christians, we have a hope that is different. It doesn't even make sense sometimes, probably most of the times. 
But the world should see this hope in us, which points to the sovereignty and glory of God. And it is precisely here in these moments of suffering, these moments of our greatest weakness, that he is made perfect and strong. This is how we glorify him. Later in the same book, Paul writes this in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, verses 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not, own, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Another whoa passage. Firstly, let me tell you that if you are in the throes of your suffering, this scripture is very hard to digest. Light momentary affliction. I'm sorry, but if you had told me the day after my wife died that it was just a light momentary affliction, I don't think I should be held responsible for what I would have said or done to you. But it's in the Bible. It's God's truth. I may not have been able to hear it at the time, and you may not be able to hear it right now, but doesn't change the truth of it. What Paul is getting at here is the essence of this Christian hope that is different than the world sees. Our lives here on earth are temporary. They will pass away, and along with them, all pain and suffering too. And in the grand scheme of eternity, our lives are but a blip. And so in light of heaven and the joy we will experience, even the greatest of our suffering moments are overshadowed by what is to come and what will remain. But furthermore, Paul says something else very interesting in verse 17. He says that this suffering is preparing us for something, specifically preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What, what is this? What Paul means here is that what we suffer now has a direct correlation to the weight of glory we will experience in heaven. There is a specific recompense for suffering. You don't get the same reward or glory if you don't suffer. Otherwise, this encouragement would ring false and hollow. And why would we be encouraged to endure and be blessed by suffering in the words of Jesus himself as well? Suffering enlarges our capacity to enjoy God's glory, both here and in heaven. The more we suffer, the more of God's glory and goodness we will get to experience. How backwards is that? But also how beautiful. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom that confounds the best of minds. And so we need to shift our attitude to suffering. It's important to remember that suffering in and of itself does not necessarily produce blessing. It only does so to the one who has faith. When Jesus was suffering on the cross, there were two next to him suffering as well, but only one was sanctified. The attitude and response of one of the thieves led to hope and fulfillment. The other became hard, mocking Jesus in disdain and contempt, his suffering leading to emptiness and eternal despair. Suffering can do either of these things to us. It has, in fact, done both to me. There are parts of my heart that have been hardened and made more cynical, and I'm still working on releasing those to the gentleness of the grace of God. But I also so desperately in my times of woe wanted the death of Aletha to make sense. 
I prayed countless times for something good to come from her death, for it to not be in vain. And I'll be honest, I don't see all the good things yet. I'm not sure how it works together. It's not all clear. But I know that the Lord has been working in my heart and will continue to use my heart in a way that will bring him glory because of this. As long as I keep coming to him with the broken pieces of my heart, he promises to do this. Where else could I go? One last thing I need to point out. I said before that the Bible is filled with accounts of people suffering. No one has suffered greater than Jesus himself. No one has been exempt from suffering on this side of eternity, not even God's own son. He was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, so much so that he sweated blood. I'm just sweating regular sweat right now from this heat. That is more than I can fathom. When he breathed his last, he bore the sin of the entire world, past, present, and future, and it separated him from God. No one has suffered greater pain than what he suffered in that moment. And so we have a God who not only comforts us in our pain and who brings good things out of our hurt, but we also have a God who understands our suffering, who's walked it himself. And our hope at the end of the day is a person. It's Jesus. And if he can bring life from death, he can bring hope from hopelessness. Nothing is beyond his reach. You are not beyond his reach. You just have to be willing to trust and to hold fast. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so maybe you're in the middle of your suffering. Maybe it's just started. Maybe it's been raging for so long and you don't know when it will end. We can have hope. Maybe you're so stuck in despair that you can't hear what I've tried to share today. You're not ready. Or maybe life is going awesomely for you right now and suffering is the last thing on your mind. Save this message. Bookmark it. Come back to it when you need it, when you're ready to hear the truth of it. Wherever you are, Jesus has been there and Jesus is there. And he will continue to be there. Remember that it is precisely in the suffering that Jesus can be found. He is preparing something in you that can never be taken away, that will blow your mind with its weight of glory. Don't rush past the suffering. Enter into it, embrace it, and let hope be forged from it. I leave you with a reflection now on hope from Henry Nouwen, who has been a source of strength and comfort to me in my darkest days. May it be for you as well. We live in a world where people don't know much about hope. We know about wishes. The whole Christmas period is full of wishes. I wish this or I want that. It's very concrete. I want a toy or a car or a new job. These are all very specific requests. But hope is precisely to say, I don't know how God is going to fulfill his promises, but I know that he will. And therefore, I can live in the presence with the knowledge that he is with me. I can then know and trust that the deepest desires of my being will be fulfilled. This way keeps the future very open. 
Hope has nothing to do with optimism. Many people think that hope is optimism, looking at the positive side of life. But Jesus doesn't speak like that at all. When Jesus talks about the future or the end of the world, he describes wars, people in anguish, nation rising against nation, and earthquakes. There's no place where Jesus says, one day it will all be wonderful. He talks about enormous agony, but he says, you, you, my beloved ones, pray unceasingly that you will keep your heart focused on me. Stand with your head erect in the presence of the Son of Man. Don't get distracted by it all. Remain focused. Don't think that things will clean up and finally there won't be any more pain. Jesus is saying that the world is dark and will remain dark. If you live with hope, you can live very much in the present because you can nurture the footprints of God in your heart and life. You already have a sense of what is to come. And the whole of the spiritual life is saying that God is right with us right now so that we can wait for his coming. And this waiting is a waiting in hope. But because we wait with hope, we know that what we are waiting for is already here. We have to nurture that. Here and now matters because God is a God of the present. And God is a God of the present because he is God of eternity. Hope is to open yourself up to let God do his work in you in ways that transcend your imagination. And so may you open your heart to let God do work in you that transcends your imagination. We're going to close our time together with a song. It's a hymn called Lord from Sorrows Deep I Call. And I invite you to receive it or to sing along, if you wish, as it teaches us how to put our hope in Christ alone when everything is taken from us. Then Pastor Terry will come back after that song and share a final word, a final benediction for us. But before all that, I'd like to remind our church family, our church members, that this is the time as well that you can participate in tithes and offerings. Thank you for your faithfulness in all the seasons. You can do so by giving online through our app, through our website, or even mailing it in to our offices. I'd like to pray for us, and then we'll head on to all of that. God of hope, Father of life, we give you all of our suffering. We give you all of our pain. We ask that you give us the courage to enter into it, that we do not shy from it or rush it. We ask that you meet us in it. You show us parts of yourself that we've never seen before that we get a taste of the glory that is to come and that you expand us now for the glory that we will receive. We pray that you give us the strength and the focus to live for you, with you, and in you, Lord Jesus. Bring hope into our hopelessness. Bring life into our places of death. Bring your light into the darkness. Help us to hold on, to hold fast, to you who is true and is sovereign and full of grace and glory. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen. Here we go with Lord from Sorrows, Deep I Call.
from sorrow's deep I call When my hope is shaken Torn and ruined from the fall Hear my desperation For so long I've pled and prayed God come to my rescue Even so the My soul, put your hope in God, even in the midst of the raging storm. He is the God 
of our salvation. The Lord is with us. He's for us. I hope you were blessed today by everything we shared. I hope you are encouraged. I hope you're reminded that the Lord is for you. He's not against you. He's walking with you. And sometimes when we are most broken and feeling isolated or discouraged or beaten down, uh, we feel sometimes even maybe a little abandoned, sometimes even by God. Let us remember that the Lord is with us. He's not far. Sometimes he's most near us when we least suspect it or feel him. Sometimes he's the one that's carrying us. So my friend, my brother and sister, be encouraged. My prayer for you, it truly is, is that you would be blessed. You know, and maybe some of you are meant to share this message, just literally send it to someone, whoever God puts it into your heart. But my prayer for you and those you love is that you would be kept in the center of his love and that he would keep you in every way, in your spirit, in your soul, in your mind, and in your body. Yeah, that's my prayer for you in Jesus' name.